Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and A.J. Joining us now is a man who, over a 10-year period, led the Edmonton Oilers to five Stanley Cup championships between 1984 and 1990. Without a doubt, his best year was in 1987, when while accumulating a league-leading 4,304 minutes played, he notched 40 wins. Uh, the, he was the Vesner Trophy winner as the league's best goaltender and runner-up to teammate Wayne Gretzky for the Hart Trophy as the NHL's most valuable player. During the 1983-84 season, he collected 14 points, which still stands as a single-season record for most points by a goaltender. In 2003, he was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. He's a seven-time All-Star. In 2017, he was named one of 100 greatest NHL players in the history of the league. Wayne Gretzky said on many occasions that he believes he is the greatest goaltender in NHL history. He's also the author of his great autobiography entitled Grant Fjord, the story of a hockey legend. It's an absolute thrill to welcome NHL Hall of Fame legend Grant Fjord to WLIA Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Grant. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's absolutely our pleasure, and it's a thrill to have you. You know, it's interesting to note that Willie O'Ree, who broke the NHL color line in 1958, is going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame in November. In 1979, at the age of 17, you joined the Victoria Cougars of the WHL. At that point, Mike Morrison of the Capitals and Tony McKechnie of the Sabres were the only players of color who were playing at that time. So what were some of the obstacles that you had to overcome? And as a 17-year-old, you know, looking at the landscape of the NHL, did you believe the NHL was something that could be a reality for you? I think at 17, you're not really looking at any obstacles. You're just looking for a place to play and to have some fun playing. I think that's kind of the fun part of being young and naive is you don't look at the obstacles, especially growing up in Canada, where it's not really as prevalent. So... I mean, I got lucky enough that I found a good fit in Victoria. It was a team that played a style that I was comfortable with, and things worked out pretty well from there. You know, it's so cool when you can go back in history and look at certain things. You know, as a 17-year-old, you follow um, you and your fellow goaltender Kevin Eastman, um, who was two years older than you, excel in the WHL, and you guys rank as one and two in the league, followed by the Billings Bighorn tandem of Andy Moog and Neil Gerard. Uh, the league at that point really had some good scorers, such as Doug Wickenheiser, Kelly Kissio, Ron Flockhart, and Mike Bladesdale. What did you learn from playing for Coach uh, Jack Shoup for the Cougars in your home? hometown in the Western Hockey League? Well, I think Victoria was a good fit for me. One, it was kind of a veteran team at that time, and they played kind of a run-and-gun style. So, I mean, I'd grown up playing minor hockey and stuff. We'd always played on teams that were offensive. We'd give up lots of shots, so it was a fun way to play. And going to Victoria, it was the same, similar thing, where we'd give up some chances, but we knew we were going to score some goals. And it was a great fit for me there, which turned into – the same style that Edmonton wanted to play and turned into a great fit there. It's interesting because you had two great years in Victoria, which included the league championship, a trip to the Memorial Cup in 81. During those seasons, you posted a remarkable you know, record of uh, 78 wins, 21 losses, one tie within the span of 100 games. Wow. You're drafted eighth overall by the Oilers in the 1981 NHL draft, which was held June 10th, 1981 at the Montreal Forum. Uh, Interestingly enough, the year before, the Oilers had drafted Andy Moog, which we had just talked about. What do you remember about draft day? Well, I think draft day, the last place I thought I was going was Edmonton. 
<laughs> I mean, Andy had just come off the great playoff against Montreal and looked like he was a lock for the future. They had Gary Edwards, they had Monty Lowe, so they had veteran presence there. So I didn't think Edmonton was a place I would end up. So it was one of those where you're kind of sitting there wondering where you might fit. <laughs> and it just turned out I got to go home. Well, you know what? You know when you get that and you hear that that you're going, you know, to play in your home team. What's the first thought that comes to your mind? Who, you know, where were you when you were drafted? And, and you know, just take us through that feeling. Well, I went down to the draft. I was in the draft in Montreal that year, so we were sitting at the draft when I get drafted, and it's obviously an exciting moment once you get drafted. But two, to be drafted back to your hometown. I mean, for me, you're walking into a situation where it's comfortable. And my first year, I didn't think I'd play in the National Hockey League. I mean, they had the veteran presence. They had Andy. So I figured I'd probably go back to junior for another year or two. <laughs> and things change a little bit. You play 48 regular season games in your rookie season as well as five playoff games for then head coach Glenn Sather. Obviously, the foundation at that point was being set for what would become one of the greatest teams in NHL history. At what point? You know, when you're in that locker room and you're playing and, and you have the best seat in the house, you see these guys in front of you every night, at what point did you say, wow, this has got the makings of something real special? I think we all knew we were going to be we were a good hockey team. We didn't realize how good we were at that time. We just enjoyed being at the rink every day, seeing each other, and playing. I mean, I think that was the special part about that team is we didn't really look at how good we were or what it was. It was we wanted to go out, have some fun, and be competitive every night. And we knew if we played hard, we had a chance to win most nights. We're talking with a, a guy who won a lot of those nights, five-time Stanley Cup champion, NHL Hall of Famer, Grant Fuhr. Mark Messier said that you were the perfect goalie for those Oilers teams as you had the perfect temperament. And what he meant by that was he said that you were never worried about your personal statistics. You didn't care about your goals against average. All you cared about was winning. Where did that mentality develop, and how important is that mentality to have as a goaltender? I think as an athlete, it's an important mentality. I mean, I think what you see now is a lot of guys get hung up on the numbers. And at the end of the day, the only number that people really worry about is you win or lose. I mean, you can have guys that have fantastic numbers, but if they're not winning hockey games, guess what? They're the second guys to get signed. You might have a guy that might have worse numbers, but if he's winning, people were more apt to take a chance on you if you're winning hockey games. And it was a lot like that as a kid. If you were winning, you got to play more. So, I mean, I just took a liking to winning. <laughs> you know, those Oilers teams would knock on the door of the Stanley Cup in your third season, but the Islanders swept the Oilers in four straight games to win the 83 Cup. How important was that defeat to galvanize a team and, and going through that process and knowing what it took to get to the finals to set up what would come over the next couple of years for the Oilers? It was a huge step for us. I mean, we, we were good, but we weren't as good as we thought we were at that time. So to get swept by the Islanders, I think it was an eye-opener for us that we had to be better. And they say you have to lose before you can win, so it gave us the opportunity where we saw what a championship team looked like and what they went through and how they prepared. It prepared us for the next year which the next year was the one where you guys finally broke through. 1984, the Islanders were seeking their fifth consecutive Stanley Cup championship, and the Oilers were looking to avenge that four-game sweep from the season before. You really set the tone early here on at the Nassau Coliseum in the first game, which was your first finals game ever. Um, the Islanders won game two. Uh, the, Islanders, uh, the Oilers won game three. But 
you're injured in that game. Uh, Pat LaFontaine crashes into you on the forecheck during that game. Andy Moog starts games four and five. Was that somewhat disappointing for you to be able – you were the guy, and you were on the cusp of you know, being the starting goaltender in the last game to win a cup. Was that somewhat disappointing for you? I know that you said you don't care because it's just about winning in the team, but personally, did that you – know, was that really tough having to sit and watch that? It's disappointing. I mean, it's yeah. not tough because the team's winning. But at the same time, you'd, you'd like to be the guy that's in the net when you're winning. So – yeah, as a young guy, it's hard to take sometimes. But at the same time, you're around the guys. You see the excitement. You see the team still winning. So it's, that's the great thing about our team is it, it takes a team. I mean, you've got to have a good partner. And that's part of our success is Andy and I pushed each other to be better. Was there any one of the cups that meant more to you or were more memorable because of what you went through during the season personally or certain teams that – certain? things that the team overcame. Is there any one of, of those cup runs that stands out in your mind more than the others? No, I think they're all, they're all great and they're all special, all for different reasons. I mean, nothing ever happens the same in back-to-back years. So when you win, it's all different. So each cup's special in its own way. You know, here on Long Island, Islander fans are still in shock that John Tavares is no longer an Islander as he moved on via free agency. I can only imagine, you know, you take a look at what these fans are going through. I can only imagine what it was like to be a teammate of the greatest player to ever play the game and get word on a summer day, August 9th, 1988, that Wayne Gretzky had been traded. Do you remember where you were when you heard the news and what your first reaction to that was? I think we all thought it was kind of a joke. <laughs> I mean, we were out at, where was I? I was at Bob Cole's golf tournament out in Newfoundland when we heard that Wayne had got traded. We didn't think Wayne had ever be traded. So, I mean, I, don't, I think it took a little while for it to set in, and I think everybody was shocked. It, it took a little bit of shock. It took us a little bit of time to try and figure out our identity as a team after that. And it's a testament to the team that you guys would win uh, another cup without him. And, and, you know, we talk about you know, players being traded. You would also be traded from the Oilers to the Maple Leafs and then later from the Leafs to the Sabres, where you got to mentor a very young, a very young Dominic Hasek who had just been acquired from the Blackhawks. Could you tell early on that Dominic Hasek would go on to be one of the league's elite goaltenders? I think you could tell with Dom when we played against him in the Canada Cup. I mean, people forget that he played in the Canada Cup and played extremely well, so you get a chance to see him play there. And I saw him play a little bit in Chicago, and then to get to see him every day in Buffalo, you knew what a good competitor he was, and you knew how good he was. So it didn't shock me at all to see him go on to be great. You know, is there something about a goalie's – I mean, I get to cover Henrik Lundqvist, and, and I see the preparation he puts in you know, day in and day out. And, and it, it, it takes a special mentality to be able to shake off a bad outing. You know, sometimes, you know, no fault of your own if your defense lets you down. What, what is the one ingredient mentally that sets goaltenders apart? You know, if you have equal skill, but there's got to be something with inside you that you can – I know that your Oiler teammates would say you might have given up four goals in the first two periods, but you would go into that locker room and the Oilers would be down 4-2, and you'd say, guys, I'm not letting up another goal, and then that Oiler team would go out and the final score would be 7-4. You know, what, what is that mental makeup that separates a good goaltender from a great goaltender? I think you have to realize that goals are going to go in at some point. The, the goals you don't want to go in are the goals that break the back of the team. So 
in a 2-1 or a 3-1 game, you don't want to give up that fourth goal. So you find a way not to give up that goal. And it's just, you'd have to keep fighting. And I think you can see it in guys, whether they have that mentality to keep fighting or whether you see the shoulders shrug when they give up a goal or they start to look around a little bit. I mean, goalies always have a tell as to whether they're frustrated or not. And I think the biggest key is to show that you're not frustrated. It lets your teammates believe in you. You also spent some time in, towards the end of your career with the Calgary Flames, um, and you were a mentor there to their young goaltenders. And when you retired, you were hired by the Coyotes as a goaltending coach and then back with the Flames. The role of goaltender coach has really grown. Here in New York, we hear so much about how important Benoit Allaire is to Henrik Lundqvist. What coach helped you the most in your career, and is coaching something you might want to get back into? Coaching is definitely something I'd like to get back into. I've had a couple of years away now where you get a chance to kind of refresh your mind. And I still watch a lot of hockey, but I think the first goalie coach I had was Mitch Korn in Buffalo. I mean, up until that point, I had Ronnie Lowe as a partner, so I could bounce some ideas off of him, but you learn the game on your own. You learn to read the game. You learn how to play the game, but it was always on your own. So Mitch was the first real goalie coach that I had. It's interesting how the, the specialization has grown. Now that you have guys that just run the power play and you have goaltender coaches, it, it really is amazing how much the game has evolved over the years. You know, At one point during your playing career, Ron McLean, the host of Hockey Night in Canada, ranked you as one of his toughest interviews ever. And if you go back and you search YouTube, you'd find most clips you give <laughs> minimal answers. But over the years, that's really changed a lot to the point um, where... You know, we said in the open, you wrote a book on your life, so you can't get more open than that. You, you pretty much laid out your life, warts and all. What changed within you to allow yourself to, to be more open? I think I've gotten older. I think that's probably the first thing. And, and I think as life goes on, you learn a lot, and you get comfortable in your own skin. I mean, I think that's half the battle when you're young, is you're not really comfortable in your own skin, and you're still trying to figure out where you fit in life, where you fit in the game, and that sort of thing. So... I mean, you're always told that you've got to be careful of the press, so I was extremely careful. You answer the questions without going on and on and on. So I think you just get more comfortable with everything in life as you get older. It's interesting you say that, and I kind of wondered. I mean, you're a superstar in your own right, no question about it. Obviously, Hall of Fame and just all the things you've accomplished in your career. And I was wondering that had you been on a different team, all right, you're on a team with superstars like Gretzky, Messier, Curry, Coffee. And you are a superstar, but having all those guys for the press to go to, do you think that helped you to be able to maintain that you know, distance when you were younger until you were able to figure out, you know, as you said, got older and more mature? Was it important? Do you, do you think had you been on a different team, you might not have grown to be that comfortable with yourself? I think in ways it was easier because you weren't the go-to guy for the press. They always wanted to see Wayne. So you kind of got to hide in the shadows, and all you worried about was playing. You didn't have to worry about media appearances. You didn't have to worry about any of that stuff. So in preparation for the game and that sort of thing, I think it was easier. At the same time, does it maybe delay a little bit of your growing up? It might delay things a little bit, but at the same time, you get to see how everything works. So you get a chance to find where you're comfortable. It's interesting. Now, I know you've said this many times, and you even alluded to a little earlier, that um, race was not something you ever thought about. You've been quoted as saying, we were kids, we just played the game. Kids always accept you because you're like them. You're just a kid playing a game. That was always the way it was right through to the NHL. I did that for a very long time, 19 seasons, and just like a kid, I did it because it was fun. 
But I have to imagine that being the first black goalie in the NHL, the first black player to win the Stanley Cup in 1984, and the first black player to be inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame has to be something you take great pride in. And I'm sure that you've inspired a lot of kids to dream about doing the same thing. When you think of that and what you mean in that context, what does it mean to you? I I take great pride in it now. I mean, I think when you're young and you're just trying to play the game and stay in the league and survive, you don't really look at the big picture. You just look at focus on what's going on on the ice. That's your main focus. I think once I retired and you get a chance to step back and you look at the whole big picture, that it's a pretty neat accomplishment. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you look at what Willie went through. You look what Tony McKegney went through, Val James. Uh, we had Billy Riley in Edmonton the one year in training camp. You look at some of those guys that played in the league and some of the stuff that they went through. It's pretty fortunate to play on a good team and where you have a bunch of stars around and nobody really worries about what you're doing. Very interesting. Now, AJ, who, who's you know, yeah. he's not the hockey guy, as you can I'm, tell, because I'm he hasn't he hasn't chimed in at all. But now you yeah. you now you're going to perk okay. up, AJ, because because you're talking golf now. Grant has <laughs> another passion, and, and that's <laughs> golf. So, what is it about you know? And we just had Ann Ligori on, who, who is yeah. like one of the the nation's you know top golf analysts and, and covers all the PGA and. and AJ's been trying to get me into golf for years, and I'm a hockey guy. I played hockey, right. you know, I cover hockey, and and like for me. I just the the rhythm of the game and well, the slowness of the game. The way he follows hockey, hockey players love playing golf. Well, that, right. Season so, ends, they're on the golf course right. the next day. So I don't understand why Mark doesn't follow <laughs> golf as much as he does hockey because it's a natural progression. <laughs> Only if you're an Islander, you're out there as soon as the season ends. Um, all right. So, <laughs> so so what is it? What is it that appeals to you about golf? What is it? How has it now become your passion? Well, I think when I was playing hockey. I played golf on off days because it gave you a chance to get away from the rink, where especially during playoff time, you weren't thinking about hockey 24-7, but yet at the same time, you're still focusing for four hours. So you're still getting, giving your mind the exercise that it needs, but it's in a different subject. And golf's the perfect game. You'd never, ever master it. So every day's different. Every day's a different struggle. And you just it lets you realize that it's just one of those games you're never, ever going to take control of. You'll have days where you think you can, but the next day it just kind of runs away from you. So it's, it's always a challenge. Now, yeah. it's interesting because there's another Fjord who is a professional athlete, as your son RJ, after going three for five yesterday, is currently batting three twenty four for the London Majors in the IBL. How often do you get to see him play, and which is more nerve-wracking for you? Going out on the golf course, playing in an NHL game, or watching your son in a professional baseball game? I think I get great enjoyment out of all of them. I mean, unfortunately, he's out in London, so I don't get to see him as much as I'd like to, but he played winter ball here in Palm Springs a couple of years ago, so I get to see a lot of him play, and it's fun to see him living his dream. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing. He's a good little athlete, and I think he thinks the game very well, so it's fun to see him live his dream. You know, it's interesting because if I remember correctly, you were a pretty good baseball player as well. I know that you played in the offseason until Slat said, mm, I don't think it's a good idea. Um, yeah, I get overruled. <laughs> so, I mean, that, that's pretty cool that he's you know, following in your other footsteps uh, in the other sports. So that, that's pretty good stuff, and we're going to keep an eye on him to see how he does over there. Lastly, you have five Stanley Cup rings, and you have one Hall of Fame ring. Which one are you wearing now, and which one gets the most wear and why? Uh, let's see, I, the Hall of Fame ring I keep on a chain around my neck. 
so it's with me all the time. And then I switch out the Stanley Cup rings. Depending on when I'm in Edmonton, I'll switch rings out once in a while. So they all get a little bit of wear. So now I don't know if you followed Alex Ovechkin's celebration with the cup, but do you have a story for yourself? Did you get your day with the cup, and do you have anything to tell us about it? Your days with the cup. Yeah. Days with the cup. Yeah. Well, one each. Well, it was four, right? It should be four, five, five. 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 Right, so the fun part about being old is we used to do it all together. Oh wow! I mean, our guys, we traveled to the bars together. You traveled to each other's houses together, that sort of thing. So nobody, you take a day where you have some family over and take some pictures and stuff with it and such, but. We celebrated as a team, and that was the fun part of it. And it looks like Ovi's doing a pretty good job of that, too. <laughs> yeah. I, I love the that fact that... That does sound awesome, though, celebrating yeah. together, going around. Yeah, there's been so many great... I mean, they should, that's a book in itself, you know, people's days with the cup. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Know Eddie Olchek fed a horse, one of his horses right. out of the... <laughs> with hay, so it's some really good stuff. Uh, lastly, Grant, you know, one of NHL's 100 greatest players, Hall of Fame, five Stanley Cup... What is the one thing you are most proud of that you've accomplished in your NHL career? Uh, I think the friendships that I've kept over the years. I mean, you meet a lot of great people in the game of hockey, and the fact that I can call a lot of people my friends, you can reach out to them at any given time, I think that's probably the greatest thing. I mean, that I managed to last 19 years, so somewhere along the way I did something right. <laughs> some great stuff, some great memories. That was uh, still to this day, I think, for me, the greatest hockey team ever put on ice. And, and I hope that you know Glenn puts a little mixture of that here We're in hoping. New York. We're I, it's like, I mean, <laughs> even if they, it was one tenth of that team, I mean, that team was incredible. One fifth, <laughs> really. Uh, we really appreciate your time. Where can people keep up with you on social media? Uh, let's see. I'm at GrantFear31 on Instagram. I'm at GrantFear on Twitter, and I'm. What am I, Grant for your 31 on Facebook? I love it. The guy who initially didn't want to talk to that, he's all over social media. I love it, Grant. Thanks so much for your time tonight. You actually let me, you know, we also stream live video, so I'm wearing my Edmonton Oilers Mark Messier jersey tonight. But I'm not wearing golf shirt. Love it. (laughs) You are wearing a golf shirt. (laughs) All right, Grant, be good. Thanks so much. All right, take care, guys. You got it. The legendary Grant Fuhrer.